Welcome to MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Labs Alliances podcast series. My name is Steve Lewis. I am the Assistant Director of Global Strategic Alliances for CSAIL at MIT. In this podcast series, I will interview principal researchers at CSAIL to discover what they're working on and how it will impact society. Justin Solomon is an Associate Professor at MIT. He received his PhD, MS, and BS in Computer Science, as well as a BS in Mathematics from Stanford University. Beyond his published research papers and articles, Justin has also published a book called Numerical Algorithms. His research focuses on geometric problems in graphics and machine learning, using tools from large-scale optimization, optimal transport, and differential geometry. Justin, thanks for your time today. Can you explain to our listeners the focus of your research and some of your aspirations? Uh, sure. So I'm the PI of the MIT Geometric Data Processing Group here in CSAIL. Uh, that name is a sort of purposefully vague, and that's because we study a lot of different problems that all have a geometric flavor. So really, our research kind of congeals around two broad themes. One of them has to do with the processing of geometric data. There's so many different applications out there that we study that really do involve shapes, uh, whether they come from the natural world or even the virtual world, like in computer graphics. So some of our collaborations include working on algorithms for computer vision in the autonomous driving space, to coming up with algorithms that can support artists and engineers in the computer graphics domain. These are areas that really naturally work usually with three-dimensional shapes, trying to process, understand, edit them, and so on. The other half of our research group works on geometric approaches to analyzing data. So a lot of times when you have some more abstract statistical problems, you can view a data set or some collection of information as actually cutting out a geometric feature in some high dimensional space. And one of the really exciting and fun aspects of the research that we do is that a lot of the insight that we've gained over many years of working on these very low dimensional kind of tangible and, and easily visualized problems in computer graphics and vision actually help give us a little bit of perspective and insight and intuition for these high dimensional problems uh, in data analysis. So while some of our collaborations really are working on these pretty concrete sort of 3D style problems, other ones are, are much more abstract and working on what you might consider to be more kind of statistics, probability sorts of things. And the mathematical and algorithmic toolbox between both of those is remarkably similar. Great, thanks for that background. What progress has been made in applied geometry in the past decade that you believe is the most innovative? It's a great question. So from my perspective, geometry for a long time was not really considered an applied discipline in itself. So a lot of times there were different geometry faculty who might work on problems specifically in medical imaging or geometry for computer graphics or geometry for data analysis. Somehow it was, this subdiscipline in a lot of different areas. To me, what's one of the more exciting and interesting developments in this community is the realization that we're all working on the same problems, you know, and, and we can actually come up with a pretty general purpose toolbox that can help us understand and cut through many different applications. Some of the nice side effects of that is that the folks who study geometry don't really regard it as just a mathematical or, or a theoretical exercise anymore. It's really 
focused on developing a toolbox can be widely adopted both in pretty practical applications and, and in more kind of exploratory uh, settings. Um, and in some senses made the community a lot more inclusive as well, right? It used to be, if you worked in this space, you had to have background in differential geometry or specialized algorithms and so on. A lot of times now we've really made it so that the geometry toolbox is something that you can actually download, work with and apply to the disciplines that um, you're working in um, without this sort of detailed and specialized knowledge and still have some pretty effective results. So it's the tool set in your opinion. That's right. That I think I think what's most sort of exciting and, and maybe innovative is the idea that like you don't need to hire, you know, a specialized expert that, you know, is an expert in applying geometry specifically to, you know, the problems in your domain area. Um, these days, what we've developed are sort of useful and intuitive tools that people uh, can use at home without having to have all the detailed knowledge of every piece of mathematics. And can you give an example of how those tools might be used in a, in a practical application in any domain? Sure. Yeah. So, for instance, we have a lot of collaborations in uh, the autonomous driving space, maybe is a good kind of tangible place to start. So in autonomous driving, uh, geometry is, is, is pretty obviously a key factor in how your car's perception system should work. Right? So if you think about the environment around a car as it drives down the road, uh, there are many different sort of three-dimensional inference problems that you have to solve, right? There's other pedestrians, other cars, obstacles, and things that you need to understand uh, in order to navigate around them. And of course, doing that requires some really complex reasoning about the environment, right? The first thing that you have to do is to find all of the objects in the scene and maybe predict their dynamics, how they're moving around. Uh, and then, of course, later on, there are, are interesting planning problems that have to do with actually interacting uh, with, with those uh, objects after you've understood uh, the scene. So these days, when we work on geometry problems, um, we're developing tools that can take, for example, a data set of scenes that maybe are, are labeled or unlabeled and can have the uh, perception system automatically sort of tell the engineer precisely what's there. Now, in order to do that, there's some pretty complex mathematical and algorithmic things that have to happen. Um, you know, in order to understand the 3D uh, world, we have to take input from some sensor like a, a LiDAR uh, style system or maybe uh, some kind of stereo and go all the way from that to pretty semantic information about the world around us. It's a pretty complex uh, series of operations, but these days they're actually pretty reasonable uh, packages you can just download, <laughs> some of which were developed from our team that, that have pretty nice uh, performance on these sorts of tasks. So there are a lot of really exciting technical developments behind the scenes that are enabling these sorts of things. Um, but we also see them pretty widely adopted in academia and industry uh, outside of just our specialized area, uh, which is pretty exciting. Um, so for example, uh, several years ago, my, my PhD student, Yue Wang, developed a, a tool that, that he called the Dynamic Graph Convolutional Neural Network. Uh, the naming is a bit of a mouthful, but the uh, algorithm itself turned out to be uh, one of the state-of-the-art tools for understanding point clouds, which is a particular expression of a 3D shape. Um, and, and what's really interesting is the speed with which the community has adopted that and, and other tools in this space. You know, and, and a few years later, now UA's work is widely cited and, and used and incorporated into different systems. And, and um, it makes working in this area really exciting and fun. Um, we're not just working on abstract problems anymore. It's really something that can have a pretty concrete effect on, on, on end users in other domains. 
So that's a great example how you know your research is affecting the way you engineer autonomous driving systems. Um, can you tell us how your research group interacts with industry? Sure. So our group interacts with industry in a lot of different ways. Um, of course, when you work in an area like geometry, as I've mentioned a few times, uh, there's so many different applications that uh, we use our collaborations with industry as inspiration for interesting research problems. So in many ways, we end up with a model where we're almost consultants. You know, we have friends from different uh, application areas and domains who maybe don't understand the theoretical aspects quite as much, but can come to our group and kind of say, you know, we think we have some interesting geometry problem to study. Um, we don't know how to articulate or precisely what tools are out there. Um, and we've had many different successful collaborations that start that way. Um, in terms of actually how interactions work with our group, uh, that takes many forms, you know, everything from sending students off to internships for the summer and then they come back with some inspiration or knowledge of, of domain areas um, to longer term sort of research engagements. Um, even some uh, configurations where engineers are actually placed in our research group and maybe they're the domain expert, but they're also interacting day to day with the team. So, for example, uh, in autonomous driving, our group has a long-term collaboration, which is supported by the Toyota Research Institute, which is focused on 3D computer vision for autonomous driving. Um, we have a second industrial uh, relationship with the uh, MIT IBM Watson AI lab, which is uh, positioned right across the street from our, our office. Uh, and actually in that case, uh, our collaborator Misha is in our office once or twice a week and, and interacting really closely with our graduate students on optimal transport problems, which are related to some of the data analysis uh, problems that we study here. That's great. And for the folks who don't know it, um, CSAIL, the Alliance program, has a visiting researcher program where researchers can be embedded side by side with uh, you know, PhD students and, and researchers in the lab at CSAIL. Um, let's talk about machine learning for a little bit. So what, what types of machine learning problems can be approached from a geometric perspective? That's a great question. So we've already talked quite a bit about geometry problems that can be approached with machine learning. So things like, you know, understanding 3D shapes for 3D modeling or, or autonomous driving. The other kinds of problems that can be approached from a geometric perspective um, involves analyzing data as itself a geometric object, right? So if I go out there and I collect a big data set, you know, like survey responses or information about people who are using my website, you can think of each of your data points as some position in a very high dimensional space, right? Like every single piece of information that I have uh, about my data point is some other dimension. Um, and oftentimes when we talk about data, we do tend to use geometric language. You know, some data points are closer to each other uh, than others. You know, some are far away, similar, distant. Um, even notions like curvature uh, sometimes come up. So in our research group, um, a specific topic that we've studied related to that uh, is an area that sort of has morphed from an area of economics to one in mathematics and now one that's largely in computation, which is known as optimal transport. Um, optimal transport is a theory of probability that links probability to geometry. So oftentimes when we talk about a data set, um, we can think of it as sort of a random sample from some bigger space, you know, like uh, if I go out there and I collect the height of a few people in my classroom, that's maybe a sample from this continuum version of, uh, you know, all the heights of all the people in the world or even you know, some generative process that, that underlies that. When I think of my, my data set as a sample from a probability distribution like that, 
then what optimal transport tries to do is to give you a geometric way to compare two probability distributions. So like if I go into my classroom at MIT and I collect a data set of, of you know, everybody's height, uh, and eye color. Well, eye color is probably a tricky one. Um, but in any event, and then I go to a classroom somewhere else, or maybe everybody's taller, um, then I want to somehow come up with some, some inference to be able to compare uh, these two different uh, distributions. The way that optimal transport does that is by treating your distributions kind of like piles of snow. They're a pretty familiar story here in Boston. Um, so if I have two data sets, then essentially what I would do in this mathematical theory is to measure the amount of work that it might take for me to kind of displace or transform one into the other. And the more similar they are, the easier that task uh, can be. So this sort of optimal transport problem originally came from the world of economics. You know, like I, I believe Kantorovich in the what, 1960s or so was studying these problems uh, for moving the Russian troops to the front. Um, Many people in France work on these problems. They often talk about it as you know delivering flour to bakeries and what the most efficient way is to do that. Um, the reality is these days we apply transport problems to more abstract uh, uh, settings in data analysis, where, for example, maybe I have a computer that's trying to learn a model of the world. You know, like what's generating the data? What what's the process that's underneath uh, the information that I observe? then there's a really natural transport problem that appears there, which is to try and understand the distance or the similarity between the model that I have of the world and the data that I have on hand. And a lot of different problems in assorted application domains can be phrased really naturally in terms of that language, everything from natural language processing, document retrieval, these sorts of things, to uh, Bayesian inference and generative modeling. So like, you know, can I come up with a, a software that randomly generates data points that look kind of like the data I've, I've, I've already observed. So for example, when you read about deep fakes and these sorts of image uh, synthesis techniques, they kind of fall into that area. So in each of those cases, the geometry is not, you know, just some 3D shape, but rather trying to understand how my computerized model of the universe aligns to a data set or some information that I've, I've gone out and collected. And so essentially what our group is focused on is taking this abstract mathematical theory, in this case, this idea of optimal transport, and really making it practical and tractable on, on, on a computational system. Uh, and that involves all kinds of fun perspectives from large scale optimization to uh, inference uh, and, and numerical methods. Um, and really we're right at the forefront of being able to translate these sorts of abstract geometric pictures to algorithmic reality, you know, at this point, we really can um, solve these problems and apply them not just to like small problems in economics, but to these extremely large scale uh, learning and inference uh, challenges uh, that, that really are naturally phrased in, in this sort of shape analysis language. Fascinating. Can you talk about what other application areas that uh, your group interact with? Sure. Yeah, we have so many different collaborators in so many different spaces. It's, it's really a lot of fun. Um, my personal background uh, is largely in the computer graphics domain, uh, and, and we have many friends uh, in that space and continue to publish quite a bit. Um, so in computer graphics and also in scientific computing, um, geometry really shows up uh, in many different places. Uh, the two kind of main ones that come to mind are in computer animation, like uh, taking a 3D shape of a digital character and deforming it and, and understanding how it moves over time. Um, and also in some kind of scientific computing and physical simulation uh, style problems. 
Uh, oftentimes, you know, your favorite movie effects come laden with hair and fluids and solids and rigid bodies and all of these different objects are, are really um, 3D shapes that are interacting with the world. So many of our graduate students and members of our team uh, study problems in the space of geometry processing, um, which is the sort of area of computer graphics that has to do with synthesizing and editing uh, three-dimensional shapes. And, and every year uh, we get to share uh, some of the results we have with that community. So another space that geometry really affects um, the application domain is in medical imaging. And indeed, we're really lucky to share a graduate student with Plina Gollin's group here at MIT, uh, who studies medical imaging problems. Uh, in his case, he's studying uh, medical imaging of the placenta, which is an interesting organ because it's extremely non-rigid, right? It's something that deforms quite a bit, um, both in the human body and eventually outside. Um, a lot of the ge geometry processing techniques that we've developed in the computer graphics domain are providing some insight uh, into the medical imaging space as well. And that relationship goes both ways. We have a lot to learn from how people process modalities like MRI uh, within the context of, of computer graphics um, and, and vice versa. Uh, there are many other application domains that we've studied over the years. Uh, one of the really fun ones that we studied a couple of years ago was in political redistricting. Of course, the shape of your political district uh, has a big bearing on how you elect candidates to Congress. Uh, and, and one of our collaborations that went for several years uh, involved how to analyze and, and understand differences between different districting plans, which was another fun and, and pretty impactful problem. And, and some of the algorithms that we developed there uh, actually are getting used in the analysis and the redistricting cycle that's just coming up. So overall, I think geometry is this really exciting area because of just the broad set of spaces where it gets to be applied. Um, and somehow we get the, the pleasure of interacting with people in all of these different areas and learning all of the interesting challenges that they run into, um, many of which are, are unanticipated and, and help us kind of inform the different projects that we have here. It's pretty common for, you know, the students we have working on graphics to kind of step in and help our machine learning students or to give some insight into the medical imaging problems that our, our student Maz is studying, for example. Um, and it's really these collaborations that, that, that drive uh, our research forward. And that's one of the things about CSAIL in general with these communities of research concept that, that um, exists at CSAIL, where you have all these interdepartmental collaborations um, and lots of progress can be made uh, when, when you're sharing information. So um, can you talk a little bit about your book, Numerical Algorithms? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. So uh... Right, I guess this book came out uh, several years ago at this point. Um, it's a, a textbook on numerical methods. So numerical analysis really underlies basically all of the research that we do. Um, the phrase numerical analysis refers to uh, computerized techniques for number crunching where the numbers are real value, like they have a decimal point. So you can contrast that with like discrete mathematics where you know, you're doing counting and that style thing. Um, so this is a textbook that was intended to give more of an applied perspective on numerical problems, you know, so uh, basically every single chapter in that book, whether it's uh, studying numerical linear algebra or optimization or, or um, solving differential equations, tries to place the problems in the context of some applied space uh, and show where these different things get used. Um, really much of that is lifted from my own uh, research and, and research from my colleagues in these different areas. Um, and, and it's a lot of fun to teach this kind of material. 
So hopefully in the coming year or two, I'll find some time to come out with the next edition. But of course, it's a lot of work. So we'll, we'll see. <laughs> TBD. Well, well, great. We look forward to that. And we know you're very busy. And we appreciate your time today on the C-Sales Alliances podcast. Thank you very much, Justin. Of course. And if people want to find out a little bit more about your work, can you point them to a URL? Sure. Yeah. So um, my research group is the MIT uh, Geometric Data Processing Group. So if you go to gdp.csail.mit.edu, uh, you can find our group webpage there. Uh, my personal webpage is people.csail.mit.edu slash Solomon. I'm sure we can put that in the notes for this podcast somewhere. Um, I feel very strongly that we should share all of our research and as openly as possible. Um, so on my personal webpage, you can find a PDF of every uh, research paper that comes out of our group. Um, and so you're invited to take a look and, and of course, reach out if you have interesting uh, applications, ideas to share or problems we should be studying. Great. Well, thanks again, Justin. We appreciate your time today. Of course. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. If you're interested in learning more about the CSAIL Alliance program and the latest research at CSAIL, please visit our website at cap.csail.mit.edu and listen to our podcast series on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tune in next month for a brand new edition of the CSAIL Alliances podcast and stay ahead of the curve.